so thankful for all of you this morning. Um, listen, we've only got a week left of summer. All the parents in here said, thank God. Yeah. Uh, that also means fall is around the corner. So we got Razorback football coming up. I know y'all are. <laughs> I didn't know if anybody would clap over that or, or, or not. It's, a, it's always a, a, you know, a toss up. Uh, today, I am going to be taking us to the book of Daniel, and so if you want to uh, go with me there, uh, you, you can. Uh, I, I want to give you just a little bit of background. Daniel is one of those books, it's, it's full of prophecy, this is a prophetic book, and so it's, it's full of prophecy, and it's got some really uh, deep and rich characters, and a lot of Daniel is mysterious. Um, it takes a lot of digging sometimes to really get the symbolism and, and where it's leading to other places in, in Scripture because it's got a lot of type and shadow in it. And so um, it's, it's a fun read, but it's not one of those reads where you just can kind of like hop in and, and in a day's time, get it and understand it and move on. Um, it really requires uh, some discipline to hop into it. And uh, so today... Um, it's going to be near impossible for me to like bring us totally up to speed to where I'm kind of going. Uh, but let me give you just a little bit of, of, of background. Daniel includes a king by the name of Nebuchadnezzar. Um, and so Nebuchadnezzar was a king that wanted to be worshipped so, so badly that he had a, a, like a statue of himself built. And he wanted everybody to bow down to it. And um, he gathered all of the all of the local talent, and um, they would play music. And when they would play, everybody would worship. And this is a story where he, they kind of look across the crowd of everybody worshiping. There's three boys out there: Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And they are not worshiping. And so he gets really creative on a way that he wants to kill them. And so he says, "Let's throw them into a bunch of fire and burn them." And uh, you know the story: a fourth person shows up. They come out unscathed. And uh, so that, that's Nebuchadnezzar, and then following him is a king called Belshazzar, okay? His friends called him Bill, but Belshazzar, he throws a party one night, and in the midst of this party and late night scene, a hand appears on the wall, and, or near it, and begins to write a message on the wall, and uh, again, a very mysterious book. And so he kind of tells him, hey, you need to get your act together, and, and, and you, you can read that for yourself. But after Belshazzar comes a king called Darius. And Darius and uh, the, the, the person, the main person in, in the book of Daniel is he himself. And so Darius and Daniel have a very unique relationship. They're from different worlds. Darius is obviously a man of power and authority, uh, he can do anything that he wants. I mean, he is the top dog. What he says is going to go. And, but he's seen something in the life of Daniel that he likes, and he shows him favor. He, I think he may look at him, and he sees this commitment, and he sees a guy who is uh, well thought of and well respected, and he has a, a connection with him. And so he begins to promote him. But there's one big difference between Darius's background and Daniel's background, and that is that Daniel worships Jehovah. And so Daniel is such a committed follower that he prays frequently, so frequently that people have taken notice. So they look at him and they go, there's Daniel praying again. And it's in this, it's like a routine thing for him. He's very disciplined in it. He enjoys it. 
He prays uh, deeply, and you'll have to read that for your, yourself. But basically, this is where we find where I want to go with this. And so what happens in, in this story is that the people get around who want Daniel's favor, and they basically say, listen, let's go to Darius and let's talk to him about how special we think he is, and let's see if we can't get him to turn on Daniel. So they go to Darius, and they say this. Darius, listen, man, we all got, got together, all the great people in this community, all of your counselors and advisors and the princes, and everybody who's, who's got power and authority and, and a, a political prowess, and we've all decided that we think you're awesome. So awesome that we think everybody should worship you and nobody else. And they stroke his ego. And Darius, being a man, says, that sounds amazing. Uh, You guys should worship me. Uh, I think I'm going to enjoy that. That means there's going to be some songs written about me and some poetry written about me. And so this is my opportunity to make uh, a stand in the history book. So let's do it. And so they put together this document. They all, you know, do their signing thing, and it, it becomes law. And they all, they all have this agenda in mind. They know that they're going to trick Daniel. But Darius is so flattered, he does not see it coming. So what do they do? They wait on Daniel to pray. They go to him and say, hey, you remember Daniel, your friend? The guy that you thought was, you know, uh, in your corner? Well, he's worshiping a God that is not you. And you've done this decree where people can only worship you. So you got to come up and do something. So again, they creatively come up with this plan. We're going to throw him to hungry lions. Now, we've all seen this image in our minds uh, through Western art, but we see this kind of a cave-type structure, a hole in, in the ground, and and in it are these lions that they have not fed for days and days. So that if someone needs to be punished, they can feed them to a lion. It won't take very long to end them. So that's exactly what happens. They throw Daniel in. They roll a stone over the entry. They put the king's signet ring on it. So that no matter who likes Daniel, who thinks that favor needs to be upon him, whoever might want to rescue him, doesn't matter the king's ring is on it. You don't touch this. And so the king is so distraught, he goes back and he prays all night. He fasts so he doesn't eat. He refuses entertainment. He comes out the next morning and says, King, or Daniel, are you still alive? He says, yes. An angel of the Lord came and sealed the mouths of these lions. Now, where I want to go with this for just a, a second, I'm, I, I want to take us to Daniel chapter 10, and I would just want to read the one verse, because this is, is what happens. This is one of the mysterious things about this particular, uh, about this particular book, because there is, is an entity that shows up to talk to Daniel. Some theologians think it's Jesus. Some think it's an angel. Some just call him a, a messenger. We do know Daniel is afraid of him. Because he says, while I sat there and listened, I trembled and shook. Okay, But this is what he says in Daniel chapter 10 and verse 19. He said, don't be afraid, friend. Peace. Everything is going to be all right. Take courage. Be strong. Okay, now I want to repeat that, those last two things. Take courage and be strong. 
If you go to Joshua chapter 1, Joshua follows Moses, and God's having a talk, and he says this to Joshua in verse 9. Haven't I commanded you strength, courage, don't be timid, don't, be, don't get discouraged. God, your God, is with you every step you take. If you go to Isaiah chapter 35 and verse 4, tell the fearful souls, courage, take heart. God is here, right here, on his way to put things right and redress all wrongs. He's on his way. He'll save you. Three different verses and three different books from three different time frames, and all of them is still the same message to take courage, to be full of strength, that God is for you, that he's with you. And so today, I don't want to focus my time on what we would call a historical Daniel message. I don't want to talk about him being a hero. I don't want to talk about post-Lion's Den, where everyone is applauding him, celebrating his faith. I don't want to talk about the personal evangelism aspect of it, about how how that one scene changed an entire nation. I don't want to talk about those things. What I do want to talk about is this, that everyone in this room has a lion's den. That all of us are to the point in our lives where we've experienced a personal lion's den. And just like Daniel, we look at our lion's den experience and I, I'm, I'm going to speak about my own for just a, a moment. I have stood in lion's den and thought to myself, why is this happening to me? If I'm doing right, if I'm living holy, if I'm striving to be in relationship with Christ, why am I in this lion's den? Why is this happening? And here's what the enemy is really good at. Okay, The enemy is really great at showing you the characteristics of God in order to feed the negativity that you see in your circumstance. So the enemy comes to you and tells you, if God is omniscient, if he knows all things, if God is omnipotent and he's all-powerful, if God is omnipresent and he can be anywhere at any given time, then why is this happening to you? And somehow what used to be theology to you now becomes angst in you. And you look at your circumstance and you think to yourself, you know, that's right. If God could be anywhere, he could be in this lion's den. If he's omnipotent, then he could have changed this. And suddenly we start to play these mind games that affect our spirit because we think to ourselves, why couldn't God have prevented this? Rather than me praying about an intervention, why didn't God, if he's so powerful and so well-knowing, why did he not prevent this circumstance? And we get bitter. And we camp out in a lion's den, and something starts to change in us, and we lose faith, and we're full of fear, and we become doubtful. And the Bible is chocked full 
of these scriptures where God is having to revisit his people and say, did I not tell you I'm with you? Did I not tell you to have courage, to have strength? Now, if you play that out in our modern world, we look at at the television sometimes and we go, if God is omniscient and God is omnipotent, then why, why can't everyone in the world have clean water to drink? Why, why are, are innocent people dying in wars that they don't even know why they're fighting anymore? Why can't we cure cancer? And they start thinking about these things, and they start raising their fists to the sky toward God saying, why is this going on? And we've all had one of those experiences. We're walking through life, and suddenly out of nowhere, some set of circumstances befalls us. And we end up just like, like Daniel. I was praying. I was living right. I had favor. Life was fantastic. And now suddenly, I'm in this den. And so courage plays an intricate part of us getting out of those dens in our lives. And having courage in the midst of debacle and degradation and situations that seem to be devoid of God's will, places of danger and discomfort and places of disappointment. And hear me, what you do when you are in the lion's den matters. How you handle those moments of being disheveled spiritually How you handle your faith having resistance matters. It's moments of growth, and it's very simple, because you will either come out of your lion's den full of faith, or you will come out of your lion's den full of bitterness. What you do when you are outnumbered and outmatched and outraged is linked directly to your faith and, more importantly, to your relationship with Christ. As a society, we have been inundated with the fact that we, we will fail, okay? Even in Scripture, we, we are full of, of labeling people. And sometimes we put a label on them and they never get over it. We even read stories about blind Bartimaeus. Bartimaeus, uh, you know, that blind was not his first name. We just titled him Blind Bartimaeus. We know he was the son of Timaeus. We know that that, that that was his dad's name. But we label him Blind Bartimaeus. And, and the woman with the issue, okay? That'll preach. Every married man in here has got a woman with an issue. Come on, y'all. We label people. And then we never let it let it down. And what I'm going to do, and occasionally I, I plug this into some sermons, I, not, not just this one but others, because I want it to, to remind us of how we're kind of hardwired mentally to think about stuff. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to say some phrases to you, and I want you to finish them, okay, with courage. Say it out loud. Speak it out. I want you to finish these phrases, okay? Here, here, here we go. What goes up? Okay, don't put all your eggs you can't have your cake. Okay, bump, bump, bump. Another one bites. Okay, that's not part of it, but that's a fantastic song. Okay. Um, it's better to be safe. Keep both feet. If it's too good to be true. Yeah. 
My, I, I grew up with my father telling me that. I said, Dad, they're, serving, they're giving away free ice cream. No, no, they're not. Here's five bucks. This is just too good to be true. Okay. We all grew up teaching these, learning these things, and it's almost like we have, we fall really quick toward neg- negativity than we do to being positive and uplifting. It's very, it's in our human nature to immediately go to the bad, then to pull ourselves away toward good. Proverbs puts it this way in uh, chapter 23 and verse 7. He says, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. So here's that biblical truth. That when we get that negative thing in our head, and we think, and we think, and we think, and we think, there, there's, there's a time, and it's different for all of us, but there's this magical moment when that thing will drop from your head into your heart and becomes part of who you are. And you live it out from the overflow of that in your heart, okay? Now, a lot of times you, you can change the way you think, but it takes a long time to change the way your heart feels about something. And so this is why it's so important for the transformation of the Holy Spirit to be at work in our lives. Because I can read a book, I can hear a great speech and my mind be changed, but my heart's got to be transformed. But things that we think about and meditate on and let ourselves dwell upon falls down into the heart. And from that, we, we begin to speak and declare and say and live out, it becomes flesh and dwells a, a among us. Okay, I don't know if you've ever said anything dumb to yourself and then believed it, but we do it every day. Let me give you some examples. I'm so fat. Okay, I'm so dumb. I'll never accomplish that. I'll never get promoted. I'll never graduate. I'll never get over this. I'll never get married. I'll never be happy. I'll never have a family. I'll never be better than my my parents. And we get these little lines. Just like if it's too good to be true, it probably is. And, And we live out of it. And this is why from time to time, like I've shared in these three verses, God has to show up and say, snap out of it. Courage, strength. I'm with you. Let go of all that that stuff and live from what I've said about you. Ravi Zacharias, a fantastic theologian, speaker, teacher, he, he says it this way. He says, we have a right to believe whatever we want to believe, but not everything we believe is right. So I got a right, I got a will, I've got an ability to believe whatever, but those things I believe are not always correct. And so that means we got to assess them. we got to look at them. What lies have I believed that I'm living out? What things have I allowed to get into my spirit that I believe to be true that are completely false? Like God does, doesn't care, that God doesn't love me, that God allowed this to happen to me, that God, uh, that God planned this death in my family, that God made me lose my job, that God caused these things to happen, that God allowed that person to hurt me, that God didn't in, intervene in my marriage, and because of that, my marriage is gone. It's God's fault. And suddenly we're in a lion's den. We all have one. They all look differently. They're all of different sizes and shapes and different time frames, but they exist to us, and they're very real, just as real to us as they were to Daniel. But there are three faces of courage, and I want to give these to you this morning. 
Lions Den in our lives bring us to an impasse. And for most of us, when we think of taking courage, taking strength, looking at our lives and really standing strong on it, it's almost like we see this image of a rickety old bridge because we're so used to falling into neg- negativity and, and blame, uh, just projecting blame and feeling guilt and shame and all those other things, that when we actually try to bring ourselves back over here to courage, the courage looks really shaky. We talk about ne- negativity and all of this. That, that's a very broad and beaten path because we, we frequent it. And we're challenged by the Holy Spirit to be strong and take courage. It just it doesn't feel very natural to us. So I want to spend the rest of my time this morning focusing quickly on three faces of courage and what we need to do with them. The first one is this. They're very simple. The first one is the courage to stay when it would be easier to go. The courage to stay when it's easier to go. Let me give you an example. A lot of times we celebrate Mary, the mother of Jesus, We celebrate her sacrifice. We celebrate who she was as a person. And we see all of that in hindsight. But what we often pass by is what that looked like for her in real time. And so you got to get the magnitude of this. And I don't know why the Lord chose this route, but he, he, He did. So we've got this pretty little girl about to be wed, teenage girl, but she's unmarried, and now she is telling people with confidence that she is pregnant of the Holy Spirit carrying the Messiah. If you said that today, we'd lock you up. We would. Think about it. Think about her telling Joseph. Joseph's like, I love you, but that's crazy talk. So much so, the Holy Spirit, an angel had to go to him too and say, listen, don't, don't bail. I got a plan here. Stay, stay with her. Be the courage to stay, to stay in it, rather than to go. Even Jesus himself. He goes to Gethsemane, and one, one version tells us that he knows the cross is near, and he's praying so fervently, it says that his tears became as blood. So he's crying out. And when you look at it closer, he says, Lord, if there's a way, let this cup pass from me. Okay, now I'm paraphrasing here, but basically it's this. Father, I know the cross is near, and his desire, the humanity of Jesus, fighting for survival the way any of us would do, say, I don't want to die. I don't want to go to the cross. I don't, I don't want to go through the anguish and the pain and then ultimately death. I, I want to survive. And so, Father, if there's any other way, any other strategy, any way we can redeem these people, he says, then let this cup pass from me. But he had the courage to stay when it would have been easier to to go. The Bible even says at one point he could just cried out to the angels and they would have come and taken him. But he stayed. I want you to think about this. In, in, In marriages, sometimes it's very difficult. Living a life with people. Is, is, is sometimes very, very difficult. Our church, hear me this morning, our church was perfect at 6 a.m. this morning. And it became imperfect when the first volunteer walked in the door. Why? Because we're not perfect people. It's very difficult 
to live life with someone. It's very difficult to, to pay bills and carry financial responsibilities and raise children with somebody. Everybody tries their, 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 their best. And if you've been married for any length of time, you've probably had a thought, I would love to get in a car and drive anywhere but be right here. Some of you, you're justified. You're justified to go. You're justified to elite. You're, you're, you, you, have, you have a biblical opportunity to walk off. But it takes courage to stay when you could go. Okay, A root system is the most important thing of anything that is growing. And some in this room, you've traded in your roots for an RV. And so your life is constantly moving and shifting. Now, 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 now listen, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pastor you. But if, if you're not careful, this is going to come across as very ugly, and you're going to leave offended. So open your spiritual ears today. For some of you in this room, you've got a cycle going. And so for you, 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 you go friendship to friendship to friendship to friendship, relationship, 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 relationship. You got a job, and you quit it, and another job, and you quit it, and another job, and, and, and you quit it. And you go to this church, and they offend you. So you go to another one, and they offend you. And you go to another one, and they offend you. And, and so church to church, and friend to friend, and relationship to relationship. And so you, you got this big old cycle going in your life. And so sometimes you have to have the courage to stay, to trade in your RV for a root system. Okay, the second thing, the courage to go when it's easier to stay. That sounds paradoxical, but let me give you an example, because this point is all about comfort. Remember the story of Lot and, and his wife? They were so comfortable in one of the most wicked cities to ever be mentioned in biblical history. God was so upset with them that he ended them with fire. And so he made a promise to Abraham. He said, listen, if you can go in there and pull him out, great, I will spare him. So he goes in and he talks him out. And, and so Lot and his wife are coming. And the biblical principle here is this. I'm going to pull you out of some nasty stuff. Now, we can graduate this as a theme throughout Scripture. So let's take that Old Testament truth and plug it into the New Testament. God has looked at every single one of us and said, I'm going to pull you out of your mess and I'm going to save you, and I'm going to redeem you, and I'm going to rescue you, and I'm going to give you a second chance. But don't look back. Don't dwell on that junk. You're a new man. You're, you're saved. I don't even think about your sin anymore. I've rescued you from it. Lot's wife, and here's another weird story, she turns around and becomes a pillar of salt. And so Lot goes on. And it's, it's like the, the father is saying, listen, don't, don't, don't look back. Go. It, it's more comfortable for you to stay, but get out. It may be something in you that, man, you've, you've, you've had your whole life, but you got to go. You got to get away from it. So sometimes God calls you out of comfort. He asks you to transition. He asks you to make a move. He asks you to, to grow up. He asks you to stretch yourself because He wants you to go rather than stay. So here's my challenge for those of you who are kind of, of teetering do what it is that's on your heart, go for it. Don't have a fear of failure. Have a fear of doing absolutely nothing. So try something. 
Start a business, start a book, start a blog, start college, start a family, start whatever it is that your passions and dreams and hopes are in, because that's what God is using to drive you toward His will for your life. Number three, the courage to ask for help when it's easier to pretend that everything is okay. And let me say this, people with secrets are dangerous, okay? They're dangerous. All the way from Judas to modern-day pastors, it can be dangerous when somebody has a secret, and we've seen it collapse churches. We've seen it collapse political systems. We've seen it shake up countries. People who have secrets, it's it's dangerous. And many times we don't want to share our struggles because of shame. We don't want someone to know the real us. We want to continue massaging their perception of us. We want them to continue to think that, that we are the well-put-together people that we are. That we're, that we're polished. But it's not true. And so you gotta, you got to be willing to confess your faults to each other. The Bible says confess your faults to one another that you may be healed. That there is healing that takes place when we go to our brothers and sisters in Christ and we tell them, listen, i got to struggle and I need to confess it and I need you to get your prayer life involved and get it behind me. And healing takes place. And I don't believe just because it feels good to get it out. I believe that it's because right then you've activated a spiritual principle and the Holy Spirit goes to work. He does something. So let me give you, let me, let me wrap up. I'm out of time. So I've given you three points. I'm going to give you three more real, real quick. This is called a six-point sermon. I'm going to give these to you really fast. Give me three, three minutes. There are three goals for when you're in the lion's den. Number one, maintain your character. Okay, stop freaking out. When you get hurt, when you feel discouraged, there's no need to go become an alcoholic. There's no need to quit your job, quit your family, quit your children. Okay, maintain your character. Peter said it, said it this way, to suffer well. That means as believers, we need to suffer better than the unbeliever. We need to have some class when we're going through suffering. We don't go out here and whine and well and talk about God and, 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 and curse the world and, and, uh, and, and sit home with a bunch of bourbon. Okay, We have class. We do it well. We suffer with integrity. Okay, Maintain your character because here's the good news. Okay, stay with me. Here's the good news. Every den that you'll experience has an expiration date. It's going to end. If you will hold true, maintain your character, put your faith in God, and say, Lord, I, I just want to grow in this. It's going to end. You're going to come out the other side. And so stay true to who you are. The second thing, pray for discernment and then use it. Ask God, what do I do? Should I go? Should I stay? 
Should I talk to somebody? Should I go? Should I stay? Should I talk to somebody? And when he speaks to you, and he will, just do it. Pray for discernment and then, 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 then use it. Okay, and third, I'm going to end, end with this. Be intentional about your personal archaeology. And let, me, let, me, let me give you a biblical example of this. I'm shutting my Bible. That'll make some of you feel better. Psalm 139, David makes this great statement, okay? He says this. Search me, God. Know my heart. Test me. Know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offense in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. What is that? It's intentional archaeology. It's him saying, God, I'm about to lift the hood on this. and I'm going to dig around. But what I need you to do is show me all the blind spots and things that I've become so accustomed to that I can't even see that they're, that they're out of balance. So you search me. You know me. You test me. You reveal my anxiety. You reveal those things and then guide me into the everlasting way. Man, that's rich. There's not a price you can pay for that kind of wisdom. This is what, I, I mean, in times of the lion's den, we need to go to the Lord and say, search me. Know me. See my anxiety. See the worry. And then God just show me the way. Should I stay? Should I go? Should I talk to somebody? All right? I want you to bow your heads real quick with me today. Amen, Ben.